Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Wonderful to be here with just you guys this weekend. Uh, welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Alan and Tom are on deck, and uh, we're going to be proceeding through the grapevine as we have uh, the first few weeks of the year. But first, I'd just like to see how everybody else is doing. How's uh, your emotional sobriety and just general health levels doing on this fine Sunday? Should we be playing Heard It Through the Grapevine at the beginning of our Grapevine uh, podcast? I think it's, it's probably a violation of copyright, but, you know, maybe somebody would, somebody would give us permission. I'm yeah, always kinda... singing. I'm singing it under my breath when we're when we're doing it. Copyright schmoppy right. That's what I say. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing I'm feeling very good. And uh, I think I, I can't remember where I've told what, but I, I, I even had an oncologist use the word remission with me uh, the other day at one of my check ins. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm moving up and beyond the, the cancer. So so I'm I'm a happy guy. What I was going to say was that I think you use the word remission that your cancer is in remission in the last mm -hmm. workshop. And that just was music to my ears because like, that's kind of as definitive as they can give you. Right. That like things. Right. Have gone it, the it's, other. It, yeah. It's like, and like it was earlier than I thought that would be coming because, um, and, and they make it really clear, which really makes me feel uh, they, they, I got, I got three different doctor's offices uh, that are watching me like a hawk. And I just, and as a guy, as a guy, who's, as a typical male who has, avoided uh doctors like the plague all my life it's like it, it, i can't tell you how how reassured i am that these people are watching me so closely actually one the nurse practitioner with my radiation uh oncologist uh, she 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 uses the she uses the, the the terminology that they have me under surveillance it's like and i it's like i thought i, I thought i told her i said I almost felt paranoid for a moment. Then I felt re just amazingly reassured, you know, that you guys are watching me that carefully because there's, it, and it's just amazing how much advanced there is in cancer treatment and, and, and technology and, and what they can do with blood work these days. So they're, they're, they have all these markers where they, as long as they keep up with me, if I, if as I understand it, if, if, if this, this particular kind of cancer even puts a toe in the door, they're going to be on it you know, immediately. And, and, uh, so I, I just feel really reassured and, and, uh, couldn't be more grateful. I'm waiting for your healing news. Well, yeah. I, I, I can't wait till I can give you some good news. You know, <laughs> is I survived surgery. So, you know, I'm, I'm now dealing with a leg that is very swollen and very uncomfortable due to the swelling. So I can hardly bend my leg that there's so much fluid in my leg. And it's oh. all a it's all kind of settling either in my ankle or in my um in my knee joint. And so I've got uh it's very uncomfortable. My legs turn black and blue. It looks a mess. Jesus. They told me it's you know, I was really worried about deep vein thrombosis, but I don't have any of the symptoms of that. So that's good news because that's life threatening. But it's very painful. It's just really painful. Right now, it's not too bad. I just took some Tylenol a while ago before we started, and the pain level's down to about a four. But it's been about a six or seven the last few days. It's been tough. Is your pain, is, is the swelling connected in any way to your lymph system? Yeah, because because the surgery has has messed up the whole venous infrastructure. The blood's yep. not the lymph system and getting... And then being, you know, diffused, you know, being, you know, um, 
I'm, I'm not getting rid of it. That's the problem. You're right. It's exactly it. So that's and I why wondered I because I because I had all kinds. I've had and I still am having to work on my face and neck with with the uh, lymph lymph system not working like it's supposed to after treatment. And and it's like it's just sometimes it can. It's amazing how I can just I I can you know I'm I'm skinny as can be because I lost all this weight, but I can look like I have about three or four chins on me because of just the lymph system swelling up. And I was wondering if that was part of gained, yours. I gained almost ten pounds of water. I mean that's. I was like 154 going into surgery. I was like 171 or 72. Wow. Bless your, bless your, I started to say bless your heart, but bless your leg. Stretching that leg out like, ah. No kidding. So, yeah, you know, I'd be afraid it's going to pop. I'm almost ready to say, cut me, Lou, cut me. Cut me, <laughs> cut me, cut me Mickey. <laughs> You know, I don't know if you're if it's because you're you're strong, courageous. I think probably a Marine is. Uh, I think Roger and I have decided that it was because because you're a Marine that you, that you keep showing up to all of these things, including the workshop and doing the work and stuff like that. Because uh, because if I were in your situation, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would be, <laughs> I'd be on the sideline, man, and whimpering. But but you just keep going. Because I get to be distracted for a period of time. And then it's I guess. Yep. It's weird. It is where you focus is where your energy goes. And when I'm laying yeah. in bed, there's only one place it's going to that. Yeah, whole guy. You're right about that. Yeah. You know, you know I, uh, with you guys, I mean, and I love it. Well, if we can do anything, it's distract you. That's you are a wonderful distraction. <laughs> what I was going to say is that uh, I cited um, you guys um when I went to a meeting earlier this week and there was a gentleman who was speaking and he spoke for about 20 minutes and told us an abbreviated version of his journey through recovery. And he talked about how in the last few years of his sobriety have been the hardest because he's had to go through a divorce. And he talks about, he would talk about meeting with all these sponsees and he would sit down with them and he would go to the meetings and he would do the speaking tours. But he would say that when he would sit down with others that are suffering, I think I, I think the words he used were that like, I just had nothing. Like I just, I sat down and I just was not feeling the spirit of the recovery gods flowing through me. But like what I thought of when he was describing that is just some of the painful experiences you guys have been through over the past six to eight months. But like you have had something to offer. Like every time that you've, like you, like you said, Alan, that you weren't sitting in bed and letting all that, that wall, wall fall on you, but you were instead going to the workshop and kind of like, giving what you have to others you know it's more it's a kind of follow follow your feet type of thing right well but i, I don't know about alan you can say for yourself first of all you should include yourself in that patrick because you've been, I, you I, had the same thing and but the other thing is whether whether i've sh shown up and done and, and pulled it off or not there certainly have been plenty of times during the last few months where i i could easily identify with i got nothing you know it just would feel that way one of the things i've learned through the years of of just b being a human and in recovery is, you know, and we talk about it all the time and it's, it sounds corny, but it's just, it's showing up, man. It's like you, sh you show up, especially when it's, it's this kind of work. I, you know, 
this is something you guys will get it, but I don't feel like I do it anyway. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like some kind of, you know, it's not only some kind of strange metaphysical thing, but there's a, there's a, there's a deeper part of me or a higher part of me or something that, that clicks in when I'm, when I'm working, when I'm with the clients, when I'm doing this stuff that I really can trust that I, if I can, if I can bring my body and just plop it in this chair, it's like, I, I'm going. I've I've really gotten to the place where where I know that that I I I do have something, you know, and we'll and we'll and I won't know necessarily what it is until until we see it. But um, I I I trust myself in that way. Does that makes sense. No, to you? I, I I can relate to that 100. percent I I will sit in some of the things that I have, and I'll yeah. start off, you know, in. And then all of a sudden, I find like, my God, there's something. You click, it clicks. It, it, yeah, it's like I'm channeling some power greater than myself. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that because that's that's. A, I always feel that when I do presentations, and, and and it's like, you know, one of the things I always say is that whoever whoever does the presentations for me. He he thinks it's funny to to show up about two minutes late. So so I have to stand up in front of an audience for about two minutes by myself and just kind of him ah uh, 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 and then he'll just he'll kick in and then you go like okay now now I'm on I'm on a roll and so far yeah. nobody nobody's caught me so I'm gonna keep doing it. I just want to give a brief shout out to my sponsee before um, we proceed to the main order of business today. Um, he is beginning his amends process. And we're kind of working out everything out and writing it all down. And like, he was like reading all this stuff to me the other day and like to kind of walk through some of the most painful things you've ever kind of any grievances you've ever committed against somebody and those closest to you and those you love the most. And with the knowledge that like, it's, it's very likely that like, I will not, that I will not be forgiven for these things, or at least not right away. And that, you know, essentially you're, this will be a process of walking across broken glass with no, like, at least there's no, um, clarity as to like, uh, what the outcome of any of it is going to be. It's just like a total kind of like blind leap, but of course he's doing with me, he's somebody he has some degree of trust in. And, you know, when like, sometimes I'll talk to, to normal non drug addict, alcoholic people about what I'm doing. And like, they won't, they won't see the angle in it you know, and, um, I don't know if it's in the big book. I don't know where I got it, but somebody, somebody I heard referred to alcoholics and addicts as un unlovely creatures. Have you guys heard that? That they're un unlo unlovely creatures. I felt, I felt like one. I felt yeah. Like as have I, right. You know, I was very unlovely. <laughs> um, but like, I just feel like, um, that's the whole point, right? Is that if you can be, sit with somebody in their at their apex unloveliness, you know what I mean? And then bring, walk with them so that they arrive at a point where they can really kind of like turn things around. Then that's kind of some of the most meaningful work that you could do. Right. And, uh, and anyway, that's just my long winded way of checking out about what I've been up to. I've done other very self-centered things as well over the last week, but uh, that this is probably one of the better things I've done is just sitting with this guy and just trying to get, help him to kind of like do that for himself, you know, and, and for these other people. Well, your sponsee, I think your sponsee is fortunate to have you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm fortunate to have you guys. We're the unlovely fortunate. <laughs> That's right. There we go. Well, let's continue on with, you know, exploring these articles that have been published in the 
January grapevine under this special section called emotional sobriety. And as I've said in the podcast, I mean, this is an indication to me that this topic is now starting to gain its due recognition in recovery. Absolutely. It's been, to me, the best kept secret in the program, even though in 1950 in the 12 and 12, Bill wrote and said that if we practice these principles in our daily affairs, that we and those about us begin to discover emotional sobriety. Well, here we are, 2024, January grapevine, special section issue is devoted to all emotional sobriety. And the last several weeks, we've been, you know, reading this story and talking about the insights that these members had and and seeing if we can sweeten the pot. And that's what we're going to be doing today. The title of this section is called, or this article is called Passing It On. Upon entering the cupboard door at our local sober clubhouse, I let out a deep sigh of resignation when I saw my coffee mug was missing once again. Shaking my head. I began the usual search of the other cupboards in another vain attempt to locate the ceramic buddy that I had grown to cherish over the last couple of months. As my mood grew darker, I reflected on how many times in the past I'd had to open every cupboard door and drawer to locate my missing coffee cup. (laughs) My anger grew because in my mind, I surely could not drink coffee without it. Never mind paper cups. Those things were invented to humiliate you by indiscriminately tipping over every time you filled them past the halfway point. I needed something ceramic that could be trusted to stay still and obey the laws of physics when I turned my back on it for a moment or opened a window on a windy day or waved my arms around trying to make a point during a particularly emotional speech. As I pulled open door after door and shifted things around to search deep in each section of the cupboard, I saw my note asking, please do not use my cup, and smiled (laughs) grimly while wondering how the note got in that particular cupboard. Giving up on the cupboards, (laughs) I expanded my search to other rooms in the clubhouse, thinking back to the time recently when I found my cup in a corner half full of old chocolate milk with a chunk of something greenish floating in it. My hopes were diminishing as fast as my resentments were growing. This would be my third cup to have disappeared from our meeting place in just a year, And I was getting fed up with this crap. Did I have to start keeping my cup in my car so it wouldn't walk away again? Just then, a realization hit me. Last week, while shopping at our local thrift store, I spotted a coffee cup that I liked. I had snatched it up for the bargain price of 99 cents and stashed it in my car. A quick search of the car revealed my prize, and I was all set again. I poured a cup of that precious black meeting oil and sat down, still miffed about the lost cup, just as the serenity prayer began. I was barely listening as the the head table went ahead with our usual administrative procedures. It's inside, I was still grumbling about my missing cup and yet chiding myself a bit for being petty and resentful. All of a sudden, my attention or lack of it was diverted by a young fellow getting his uh, very first 30-day medallion. When the group sang out, how'd you do it? He grinned and held up a coffee cup, not unlike the one I was missing, and said, hot chocolate and black coffee. Lots of hot chocolate and black coffee. I remember feeling my face and hands get cold. Time seemed to slow down and almost stop for a moment as a realization flooded my brain. (laughs) What if I had been using my coffee cup to stay sober? 
What if he were the one who left it sitting in the corner with the stale hot chocolate? What if the difference between being here with his family or going back on the streets had been my ceramic coffee cup? Clarity flooded my mind as realization cleared the cobwebs and mud that had been accumulating there for the past few months. Was I just going through the motions of being a member of AA? Was I preaching and teaching yet ignoring our principles as far as I was concerned? Was I really falling back into the trap of do as I say and not as I do? Had I slipped into complacency? Sure, I had an emotional attachment to my coffee cup, but now maybe it was time for that cup to move on and work its magic with someone else. I felt in my proper place for the first time in months. The image of a cog on a gear in some clockwork mechanism flashed through my mind. I smiled and nodded my head. Yep, another piece of the puzzle. For the first time in a long time, I felt like a part of AA again instead of a one-man band. I felt like I had just done a quick little fourth step. Right then, my internal reverie was interrupted by the group gleefully calling my name over and over. It was time for me to stop zoning out and do the daily reading. But I firmly resolved to, to put this moment down on paper when I got home in case I ever needed a mini fourth step again. I do hope and pray that co that coffee cup is passed around for years. Meanwhile, I'm going to make another stop at the thrift store and make sure I have another spare cup in my car. Well, so many things stand out in this, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we talk about that perception and the lens that we're looking at things determines how we're going to see what's going on. And first his lens was, it was all about him. This was my cup. How dare they move my cup? How could somebody use my cup? Don't they get who I am? You know, it's claiming that special status that somehow he should be respected and people shouldn't mess with his things. I, I get it. I've been there and I've done that. I mean, I can relate to that whole thing. And then he was copping a resentment about it, right? Getting angry that somehow he was being disrespected because they weren't doing that. So he concluded that this was all happening to him because of the lack of respect that he was experiencing. So now that he fueled his self-righteous anger that much more, right? My God, you know, how dare they? You know, move my who moved the cheese? Remember that book? Who moved my cheese? I you hate know? I hate that book. I don't talk about. I have a resentment. We got to talk about it later. Who moved my coffee cup? Who, who took my coffee cup? Even despite my note, don't mm -hmm. leave. Don't move my coffee cup. So you know, it's back to that thing again. And and I just love he had that moment of realization that said, "My God, look at what's going on, man." This is somebody else needed this cup. And maybe this guy's relationship with this cup is serving a purpose that's greater than I could have imagined. And as soon as he, first of all, didn't make it about him, right? Quit taking what happened personally. And secondly, could see that it was of value to someone else. All of a sudden, all of that resentment dissipated and it was gone. He was yeah. in total, right? He well, moved well, we all make up stories. You know, we make up these stories. But interestingly, at that time, he made up a new story that is, you know, we don't know if it's true or not. He doesn't know if it's true or not. But it's a, it's a better story. He made up a story in which that cup was necessary for this fellow to stay sober. 
you know, and it's and it's like that's what's so amazing. If we if we change the stories we're telling ourselves, we change how we feel. Period. It's, yeah, it really, it, 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 we really do have that, you know. And the other thing I want I want to be sure I just toss in here too is this also this article also really just highlights something that I think is, is, you know, I don't think everybody, every one of us is the same who are recovering from any, any kind of addiction, but, but we have a lot in common. And, and, uh, and for a lot of us, and I'm speaking for myself, especially control is a big piece of what I had to face in my sobriety. You know, yeah. as, as we were reading that I was having a flashback to, coming home from uh, about six years into my recovery, coming home from, from work one day and uh, finding a book on the coffee table that Dee Dee was reading called How to Live with Control Freaks. You know, wow. I mean, and, and Dee Dee didn't leave it there on purpose. She, she, she's, she's, not, she's not a strategist. She, if, she wants me, if she wanted me to know if she was reading it, she'd just tell me she was reading it. But of course, boy, was I mad. And as a good control freak, I read the book immediately, you know, because I wanted to know what the enemy camp was 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 having to say. But and and I got to say that book actually began my my recovery from, from began. It was long, long, long way to go. But it was being a control freak. But little things like that, we really do need to pay attention to because those really are those, you know, whether you want to call them character defects or just care, I just call them characteristics because every characteristic has an upside and a downside, but the downside of the control stuff is, uh, it, it will, it will mess you. It will mess up your relationships. I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm testifying. Herb would love that story about, uh, you know, you using that control freak book as like a springboard into your, uh, <laughs> into your evolution and self betterment. You know, it, it began with yeah. a, with the motive of resentment or kind of. Spiteful. Oh yeah. But, I was going, how dare you? Yeah. Yeah, but it was that it was just the medicine you needed. I love that. It was perfect. But, um, yeah. So relieve me of the bondage of self. Like that's what I felt while reading the story. The not taking it personally piece, of course. Um, you know, from emotional sobriety um, and your work, Alan. Um, I could definitely detect in this guy's story. But like, this may be too much of like a. Uh, a rudimentary question but like what what is that bondage of self and why does it demand for us that are recovering from different dependencies why does that why does it why do we require that relief why is it so essential and i mean clearly see this guy saw himself as being part of something larger um you know i i wanted to say that the story he told himself that you were underlining tom he's probably not too far off the mark actually like it, he probably did that, that very well might have helped somebody stay sober another day. You know what I mean? Just having mm -hmm. that, having that mug, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like all of the, all the details matter, but yeah, like, um, the bondage of self, um, that he was able to kind of like sever that cord a little bit, um, with that reframe. I don't know. I, it did strike me as like, it, it, it's, it's that wonderful story of it's about something that would seem to be, uh, inessential, but actually it's quite essential. You know, the more that you drill into it, right? It's like, it's not just a coffee cup, in other words, right? Well, for him, it wasn't. See, he made that very important, right? It was his possession. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple other points I'd like to, to bring out here. So this is exactly what Jill was talking about. Every time we're disturbed, there's something off with us. 
And for him to be claiming his his demand was that everybody should respect his stuff and nobody should take his coffee cup. Now, look, I can understand him wanting that or would like that, but you know, maybe somebody was in a rush and really needed a cup of coffee. Maybe so, you know what I mean? It's like there's all these possibilities where things may not go the way I want to go. And what we are learning in emotional sobriety is when I'm disturbed, is there something off with me? Well, what is it? Well, if he would have started to look, he would have seen that he had an unenforceable work. Nobody should move up unless they get my permission. It's a nice request, but, you know, things happen. You know, and in this case, something happened that may have been really valuable for this other guy. You know, so I can relate to this in terms of having these expectations, how things... I had a, a great financial submitted one time that was accepted. I was standing in line with this woman who was doing some banking, this older woman. She was probably in her 80s or 90s, and she was taking her sweet time and having this great conversation with this guy. And I'm standing there getting more and more resentful about it. And then I had this epiphany that maybe this is the only person she's going to talk to to this day. And that this conversation is golden for this woman. And as soon as I thought that, just like he had with the coffee cup, I let go of the whole thing. So our, so we can change what we're feeling instantaneously by changing our, our relationship to the experience we're having. See, that's the real emphasis that I would want to make here. He doesn't say this. It's implied in the, in this, in this, you know, article that he submitted. But he changed his relationship to the experience he's having, like what Tom was saying. He changed the narrative that he was assigning to it. Mm -hmm. And when he changed the narrative, and that's one way to change something right now, is change your language. I mean, when you would start to change your language and your narrative about something, it looks very different. When I changed my narrative about what that woman was doing mm -hmm. and not just wasting my time, how dare she, and that this was of value to her, I was incredibly gracious. You could have stood there the rest of the afternoon. I would have enjoyed myself listening to her right. talk. It actually, yeah, it actually turns into a positive experience for you, not just not just a toler something you can tolerate. It's, I mean, it oh, changes right. things that much. And and by the way, Patrick, to, to respond based using what Alan is saying to respond to your question about the, before is to me to me the, the you know there's little little language cues that I use like and just and for me it's the about stuff like this it's it's remembering to pan back you know and you're, you're a film guy so you probably you can use this it's a because it, you know, when we when we if we if we if we're feeling disturbed like like what you're say, saying Alan and what what Bill talks about in his in his letter it's like Hand back. In other words, just without even waiting for something to confront us with that, look for other ways of looking at it. Or just to act to part make part of our daily practice. Are there other ways? Are there is there another way I could look at this? And just really challenge ourselves to do it. Remember to do it. Do it purposefully. And you know, because because we know that these these are stories in which, like what Alan just said. Well, Alan just did it in a different way than the fellow who wrote the the article. He, he was kind of confronted by the circumstance when the guy was holding his cup up. Alan, you you were self-contained. You you act you actually your recovery voice in your head basically stepped right there in the line with you. And said, "Hey, buddy, take a look. Take a look at it. From, look at it from this angle." And the moment you did, the moment you changed. I'm sure you get this a lot, Alan. I've thought of your uh, bank 
your story about what happened at the bank like more than a few times when I'm out and just being restless, cerebral, and discontent with uh, whatever annoying thing other people are doing. Because and and you know what? It's helped me. It's helped me to not be as annoyed. Because see, what it does is it opens up our consciousness, and it, it, it we we come to realize that we're in relationship with the world, not with ourselves. Mm-hmm. See, that's the shift that takes place. Yes, as Herb says, we're the most important thing in the world to us, but we're not the most important thing in the world. And when we right size ourselves, and that's what he did, and that's what I did, then we just we can place ourselves as part of the experience that's happening in life rather than as the center of the experience of what's happening in life. And that shift, we're not, and listen, I can't emphasize what I'm going to say enough. That does not mean we lose something. We gain something every time we do this. Every time we do this, we gain perspective. We gain humility. We gain love. We gain um, acceptance. It's unbelievable how much it fills our cup. And a lot of people think, well, my God, that not that me giving things up that I'm now just, you know, not being a serve? No, it's not. It means you learn how to cooperate with anxiety in this world. Well, we, we could even say, we could say, yeah, you're giving something up that you don't need. You you give, you, you know, you're, 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 it's fine. Learning to give things up is perfect there. And see, I think one of the things I love about this kind of thing, and I work with, talk to my clients a lot about it is, is, you know, is we're so trained in our culture that we have the big things that matter at our, with our main relationships and our main, in our, in our work, in our careers and this kind of stuff. But People, we, it, I I really encourage people to to, to set their set their awareness at a level where doing things like this, looking for opportunities to do things like this, is a part of the daily practice. It's uh, I've, I've worked with one a friend of mine who's in the program uh, about this. Uh, some just try to to to, to inc- share with her teacher how just being kind to people in the world can make you feel better. It's uh and she, and 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 this this friend of mine this woman, uh she's she's mad she's got she's got a lot of anger and if you know her story boy does she have a reason to be mad. I mean she like the rest of us she makes but 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 I've loved when when she started to actually do some of the things I had suggested. I just it was so much fun to listen to their stories and to watch her real realize this simple thing that just being kind to somebody can 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 make your day. You know, it's just it's the simplest little things. And, and it's like like that's uh, that's as much a part of our daily recovery as anything else. Yes, that's right. The sooner we can get to that part, the better for all involved. Yeah. Well, this is great, you guys. I really love doing this with you. I'm looking forward to next next week. Yeah, we ought to do it again. Next week, we have a guest. Um, it's a colleague of yours, Alan. Sarah? Yep, Sarah Stromberg is going to be joining right. us. All right, guys. Well, it's a, it's been a pleasure. And uh, until next time. Peace out. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you